podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Attention Social Security and SSI recipients. If you did not receive an economic impact payment for your eligible spouse or dependents, you may need to file a 2020 tax return with the IRS and claim the recovery rebate credit. Go to ssa.gov EIP to see if you need to file a tax return and if eligible for other refundable tax credits, like the child tax credit. That's ssa.gov EIP. Produced at U.S. taxpayer expense. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. Oh, that's a kid we used to do in softball. Uh, what? It's, uh, actually Geico. Whenever someone hit a triple, we would wave our bats and yell, 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. But we never got to use it because we would only hit home runs. Annoying. The phrase is from Geico because they help save people money? Geico? Yeah, they were our team sponsor. Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. Right, good evening, and we are back for part two of the 2006 World Cup review, of course, with the Tuesday Club. And the Tuesday Club is, of course, brought to you with the Pitch Sport Football fan app, giving the fans a voice. It's a free download on the App Store and the Google Play Store. And, of course, as you know, during the regular season, we will use stats and bits of info that the guys get through the Pitch Sport app um, to give us a different take on what people and fans think of the upcoming football in the leagues, etc. It's going to be interesting to, to run it at this moment in time given that everyone is cancelling leagues. Uh, with me tonight, I am joined by the lovely and beautiful uh, lost Irish man in Barcelona, Pete Smith. And, of course, alongside him is Keith Plunkett, all the way over on the north side of Dublin. God bless you there, Keith. Equally beautiful. Um, right, lads, it's great to have you on board. How are we all feeling tonight? Uh, equally beautiful, do you reckon, yeah? Yeah, I reckon so. <laughs> I'd like to. Slanderous. 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 <laughs> <laughs> I, th- I think I might run a poll on the, on, <laughs> online on Twitter after this. Just uh, let me get a good picture out in advance. Yeah, I was going to say, the, the photographs of the, the, the perjurious photographs will be going up. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 uh, we're all beautiful to someone. That's it. I want, I want both your dead photographs, both your wedding photographs, and both your divorce photographs. That's the only way you can really judge a man. That's it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I love true <laughs> photographs. <laughs> exactly. Right, lads, look, we're, we're, we're on to the knockout stages of World Cup 2006. We finished off last night with the exit of Michael Owen from the England camp after he's done his crucial ligaments, doing um, a really bad impression of Michael Jackson on the sideline in the Sweden game. Um, of course, this is the, as we were talking before we came on, we forgot to mention last night, this is, of course, is the is the famous WAGS tournament in Baden-Baden when Sven himself brought brought many ladies along to the uh, team hotel uh, to have a bit of R&R before the game, so they felt it was all right. But um, we go into the, the Tunket, indeed. Um, in this knockout phase, then, we're looking at, more or less, as we said, we, we, we there was no real surprises coming through the, the, the group stages itself, with the exception of, was this the one Ghana comes through um, 
Ghana play Brazil, yeah. Yeah, Ghana. Ghana, Ghana and Ecuador. Mm. Yeah. So you've got the, the, the randomers in this one really is Australia, Ecuador um, and Ghana. Potentially you might say the Ukraine as well. Ukraine, yeah. Yeah. So they're, they're the random lads that are coming in. Um, and the, the tournament, as we were saying, was very much weighted towards the, the, the top sides coming out of the group. So that they had the best teams in the knockout phases um, as we get into the second stage. Um, the first game up in the second round, of course, is, is Germany-Sweden. And I think it's a, it's, it's a relatively comfortable 2-0 win for the Germans um, to go through that. The next one then we have alongside... And I'm, I'm, I'm not going to do every game by game. We'll, we'll just cover off the bigger ones that, that happen, right? Um, the next game alongside it was Argentina. But Argentina struggled to beat Mexico here. They, they beat them after extra time. Um, it's 2-1. And this was, sort of, this was a bit of a surprise, lads, because remember, Argentina have romped through their group um, and were probably everyone's favourite at this stage. And as you mentioned last night, Keith, Cambiasso has already scored a goal in the tournament at this yeah. stage. It was an unbelievable goal. When you look back at it, like anyone that can't remember should look it up. It was a, an absolute beauty. But you're right, this game, they would have been heavily fancied going into this against Mexico. Now, Mexico were a good, a good team. We say it on every one of these shows. Mexico always get out of groups, always mm-hmm. get to the second round. And this time, you know, they they had a good team and they had a good go. Argentina were made work for it. You know, yeah. Rafael Marquez scores after five or six minutes. And then Crespo gets him back, and then I think is it does Maxi get there? Maxi Rodriguez, I think he was on fire in this tournament. Yeah, Maxi was brilliant in this tournament. Maxi was on fire in this tournament. You're right. This is this is the time that I I woke up to Maxi Rodriguez and yeah. fell in love with him before he even saw into us. He's just that that little floaty player who just pops up at the right time and scores amazing goals. Yeah, and a Rafa Benitez player out all over him. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, Pete, do you remember the, in in this one? Was it? Is it? This is the one where is in it? Your man is it? Guillermo something the goalkeeper. He'd been absolutely pulling off wallies left, right, and centre through the group stage for Mexico. Like they, nobody could score against him. I can't. What was Waldo was Sanchez? It wasn't Guillermo Chao. It was. Waldo was it not Sanchez? Sanchez, I think. But he's. Yeah, Sanchez. He's because this is the one without. Sorry, this is the one without Campos. So it's the first one we've seen Mexico without Campos, and mm-hmm. he, they've sort of got a proper goalkeeper for a change. He's not trying to play as a centre forward, but he is. He's pulling off saves all over the shop in the group stage, and Mexico look like. Um, is, back, is this Blanco's last World Cup as well? Yeah, um, I, did, I, did he? I don't think he started the game, so did he? No, no, I think he make, he makes the brief appearances as as substitutes across it, but he's about well, he's about thirty eight at this stage. Yeah, of course. A, a great player as well, you know. Yeah, one of my favourites. Do you remember he had yeah, the the bonk? Yeah, where a weird looking show you know. No, I was no lads, he's around. Guillermo Choa was the goalkeeper for Mexico. Big mad Corey mop ahead looks a bit. Yeah, but he didn't play against Argentina. He wasn't in goal. No, Oswaldo Sanchez was in goal. Against Argentina, I'm looking at the team sheet here. So Ochoa might have played earlier on in the in the groups. He may and may have picked up an injury or something. But it's Oswaldo Sanchez is a team sheet. Keith, we're back to this. They're all the same World Cups after today yeah. from 2006 <laughs> onwards. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's very same lads keep throwing. It's all, it's all a bloody blur. Oh. This is the World Cup that you most reminds me of of the the nights you uh, you know you'd spend playing Championship Manager because all it, it, this World Cup was it was almost like it was played out on a PC. Everybody that was supposed to go through to the knockout phases went through to the knockout phases. You know, it's the strange World Cup in that it just followed the script. You know, literally almost yeah. round for round, blow for blow. 
Yeah, it was. We we touched on that last night, didn't we? You saying that um, it, 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 the odd exception getting through, but all the big ones were all put into groups that were relatively straightforward for them, and they all got through here. And maybe one or two pitted together in the, the knockouts early enough, but there was very little uh, surprise packages in this walk. Yeah, but compared tough, to other tough games. I mean, I, I do. I'm speaking about this game now, I remember Phil made the point earlier on that Argentina had, had it a little bit easy in the, at the group stages, and all of a sudden they've, they've come up against Mexico. It's almost like a brick wall. But yeah. Argentina would have expected that. I mean, this, this is, you know, it's... You know, South America, Central America. It's yeah, it's all it's, it's, it's nip and tuck down there. There's no there's no hammerings in any of those uh, either. Whether it be the South American Championship or the uh, Concaf Championship, there's absolutely yeah. no hammerings anymore. You can That's go to true, Honduras yeah. now and get turned over, for example. So they would have been expecting a tough game, and I, I don't use the word derby lightly, but you know anything you know certainly where there's Spanish being sp- spoken on the pitch on both sides of the of the chalk is going to be. Sp- this is no very temperamental you know? Latin types, you know. Yeah, I mean, it's um, isn't isn't this this, this but like this is Mexico have opened the score and and, yeah. and Argentina do. It's what's it's ten. Yeah, I think Crespo scores fairly quickly after. Yeah, after that, though, they struggled. Everyone thought that the Argentina side would romp this. Like they, they, there was a genuine feeling, having the way they come through the group, that they were going to put two or three goals past Mexico and sail through to the next round. But this was a real test, and I think actually after it more people thought that Argentina are definitely one of the firm favourites for this because they've come through a stiff test in. Yeah. Um, it's always an acid test, isn't it? You blitz your way through a group and then fall on your ass. But they hit a tough game and managed to grind it. Grind it out. Yeah. It's always a good sign. Exactly. Yep. Um, but anyway, actually then scores a, a cracker. I think it's the volley that he scores yeah. um, to, to send them through. Um, and then th- that's it. So... Like um, um, as I said, I'm going to shoot through some of the games. Italy play Australia, and I think the one thing that the Italian game was was a typical. The best way to describe every Italian game of this World Cup is a very typical Italian game. Mm-hmm. But this is this is a, this is one of their really really late winners, if I'm right, because ninety scores. Yeah, in injury time, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. ninety fifth minute penalty. Yeah. Yeah. It was a heroic. A heroic performance by um Australia. by Australia. In, 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 now in I'm saying that. Matarazzi gets sent off in this after yeah. 50 minutes, so yeah. Italy do play the chunk of the second half with 10 men. Um, and this Italian team, we could do a whole pod about Italy in this World Cup because, yeah, as we spoke before this, about this was on the back of some some dodgy going-ons back in Italy. So Italy, this Italian team weren't getting a lot of support back home at the time, you know, from the media and all. There was a lot of bad blood. And they done the typical Italians. Every World Cup they're in, they scutter their way through groups. They get out. They've absolutely limped over the line in this game against yeah. Australia. Yeah. And they're putting themselves in a position. But they build up a momentum and mm. a team spirit. And they always have little pockets of quality that can do damage. And you look at their team, yeah. and it's Del Piero, Luca Tony, Gilardino up front. They're not doing it. Okay, Totti comes on. Lucas, you know what I mean? You know, people like that. And I think what sticks out about Italy, especially in a game like this when you're going to lose a centre half, is how resilient they are at the back. Obviously, Cannavaro, who was probably, I don't know if he was player of the tournament, I think he was. Um, no, he wasn't. Zidane was player was of the tournament. Was he Dan? But well, he wins. He does he win the Ballon d'Or on the back of it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you've got Buffon, who was without 
question the, 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 the world's best goalkeeper. So they're always going to be difficult to break down, even with 10 men, you know. But this, this, is, this is the lippy Italian side, and everyone probably expected a bit more attacking football from a Marcello Lippi Italian side than, than say, the previous, be uh, Cesare Maldini yeah. or whoever managed the Italians before this. Trapatone. This is sort of like Trapattoni. This is, but Lippi does sort of rely heavily on that uh, impenetrable defence mm. that the Italians always have. Like when you think about Barzagli, is playing in this World Cup. Yeah. You know what I mean? You've got Chiellini isn't in this World Cup as far as I know. Pirlo, um, but like, Pirlo is there, and you've mm. got, and of course you've got Cannavaro. Mm. You've got like these, these are fellas. Cousin Fabio Grosso was playing. Oh, nobody yeah. ever heard him, and mm. he we, was absolutely unbelievable. Then. We said this in the last, the last show, didn't we, Phil? As well, not not for this World Cup, for the last World Cup, Italy always pull a player out of not obscurity, but out of nowhere. And Fabio Grosso was the one in this. I think Barzaglia, Grosso, and they'd one or two others, Perotta, it could have been, I don't know, were all playing for Palermo. I think Palermo were big at the time, and that's where these guys were coming yeah. from. Well, literally, in because every tournament, in, in, yeah. Sorry, Phil, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, the background to all this, the background noise that's going on, this, of course, is the Calciopoli scandal, which is breaking in Italy, which is going to result in Juventus being relegated to, to Serie B. Um, and the, the backbone of this team are Juventus players. Like, you've got Buffon and goal, you've got Cannavaro, who's a Juventus player at the time. You've got um, Cameronese, who's a Juventus player. You've got Zambrotta, who's a Juventus player. Del Piero. Um, Del Piero's obviously a Juve player as yeah. well. I think I, I think I remember Fabio Pecchia at the time as well, who was heavily involved in this scandal, uh, tried to take his own life, if you remember, Phil. He was a, he was a player I yeah, yeah. actually at Juventus, and he, I think he jumped out second or third story building, but unsuccessfully he actually ended up living. So, yeah, it was a huge scandal at the time. But it wasn't just Juventus. Like it's, Juventus were... were, 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 were Inter were involved. Were yeah, I see. We're involved. There was, there was loads of them. I think I was only listening to something recently, and I think Roma were on one of the only teams that weren't implicated or involved in any way, um, which was unusual. Not unusual for it not to be Roma, but that there was one of the big teams where like everyone was involved in this. This was an absolute whopper of a scandal. Yeah. And they went in with this on their back. The thing you've got to understand, though, lads. I mean, scandal and Italian football. Go hand in hand. The, oh, yeah. the, re- the only reason that these things started to come out in, at the, the turn of the 24th century is because, you know, the internet, emails, things like that. I mean, mm, uh, yeah. Italian football is run, you know, it's known for corruption. I mean, the, 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 there is a, if you watch Serie A on a regular basis, and I do, even up to today, there's a certain a roster of referees who are only who are given uh, Juventus games or given AC Milan games or given yeah. AC Roma games you'll never see you'll see the same names refing the same games it's you know Italy is you know it's the wild west when it comes to football to be honest well we spoke in the first one of these we done on Italian 90 we actually feel you spoke glowingly about um, Toto Scalacci's background and his um, prominence as a, a mafia capo at the time. <laughs> yeah. The only reason he was in that squad. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but even, you go back to 82, Paolo Rossi was the same. Paolo Rossi comes off a, a betting scandal or something as well. He was banned, he comes back and he's the hero. Italy will always do that and they sort of... By the time we got around to the 2006 World Cup, Paolo Rossi is now one of the heads of the families in uh, Sicily at this stage. <laughs> and he's, he's running distribution lines in and out of New York. <laughs> <laughs> the John Gossi. Olive oil. It's all olive oil. It's all olive oil. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Waste of uh, Anti, right? <laughs> <laughs> ah, the Italians. The Spanos knows nothing on the Italian football. The Italians. Unbelievable. But, 
Okay, bringing it back to the tournament though, they, they basically just do, like as I said, the Australians put in a raw effort, but last minute penalty, and it, there's almost, if I'm right, and I remembered sort of this, there was almost a sense that this was justification for the bad decisions that had gone against them into the 2002 World Cup, remember the South Korea? Yeah, yeah, that's right, yeah. Yeah, the bar was almost. I won, wasn't it? Yeah. That's it, yeah. Yeah. And they it was, were was stitched up. But that was a bit of a soft penalty they awarded against Australia as well. Like you've, you've seen them not given, yeah. and it was just one of those where you're thinking, mm, is this a way now for FIFA to manage to get the the big boys through? Because at this stage, Germany's gone through, Argentina's gone through, Italy's next up. They go through. Sorry, Italy was after the the England game and the Portugal game because they're the two different sides of the draws. But like on, on that side of the draw, you had Italy, and then coming up in the next game was Switzerland and the Ukraine. So it was almost like it wouldn't have been in their interest to not have Italy come through in that no. reality, like you know yeah. what I mean? So they want the viewing figures, and it was being seen as such a successful World Cup with big crowds and the fan zones and all that type of stuff that it's it is important. But the, the last game on that side of the draw then is uh, is like the forgotten game, Switzerland against the Ukraine. And this was a Swiss side. This is a Swiss side that was like um, not really fancied, but managed to get through their group in terms of what was there. They go into this game. The Ukraine, the Ukraine managed to get through their group as well. Um, I don't think. Shakiri or or no. uh, Shaka. No. no, this is too the era of. But it is a very familiar squad. No, it's the era of uh, Tranquilo Barnetta and all those guys, and um, yeah. I think they had. I'm trying to Hakan think. Hakan Yeah, uh, Hakan Yakin. Yeah, because I, I remember there was two two Imura and Hakan uh, Hakan Yakin. I always remember a friend of mine, Graham Cavanagh, giving him stick. In an Ireland game, in the build-up to this World Cup, I'm nearly sure. And he, Good rings end, man. Yeah, and uh, it, he got caught on camera. It was one of the first times you see a fella getting caught on camera. Basically, pardon my French, but you call him a fucking wanker. And you can just see Hakeem's face. Basically, I have no idea what you're saying, but it looks like it's pretty insulting. So I think that was this. And I'm trying to remember, who was the lad they had up front? They used to bring him on. Up top, Switzerland. Yeah, he was never a starter. Inevitably, no, it was definitely Freud. They would bring him on, but he would he would always score. It was a, it was a bizarre. I used to be like, why doesn't this lad start? Because he inevitably always scores. But this has this is actually this is a head. I forgot this. I actually forgot this Swiss team. But you've got um, Senderos, Juru, mm. both at the time at the top of their game for Arsenal yeah. at this stage, right? Because yeah. they're 20, 21 and 19, the two boys are. I think Juru might have been the, the next big centre-half, yeah. I reckon, in England coming That's through for, for, for Wenger's Arsenal. Um, you've got Philip Degen. That's and right. David Degen, his brother. I think so. Was he at Dortmund? The two yeah, they were both David Degen twins. They were both at Dortmund, I think, weren't they, together? I'm nearly sure. But they're good little players. They were twins. Yeah, I'm right. nearly sure. Good players. I, I don't know if they were twins. I'm sure they were brothers. They had um, a good little player. There's a really strong, yeah. a really strong Basel side at this no, stage. They were twins. Yeah, they were twins. Were they yeah. twins? Zuber Buller is the goalkeeper. Yeah, yeah, they were twins, yeah. I remember this now. And they have... Diego Benaglio is the other goalkeeper that was the, was backing up Zuber Buller. Um, and he goes on to have a big career with uh, Wolfsburg in mm. Germany. Yeah, still playing for Monaco, I think, is he? That's right, he is. He is. And there was... Um, but yeah, I, I remember this, this... Now I'm looking at this team, the, Barnett is playing for them as well. But they're all kids. Like they're, that's a very young yeah, squad. Yeah. Like Sandros is 21, Jury was 19. This is their golden generation. Yeah, pretty much. Marco Strella. 
and the two Turkish boys would have been probably senior. Certainly Murat Yakin would have been the only one edging towards 30. Maybe Zubar Buller was, was a senior player amongst them, but I think you're, you're right, this is a very, very young side. Not a very entertaining side, but a very, very young side. No. Very, but that was Kubi Khan, the, the manager. It was, he was very... Um, like he'd taken over from from uh, Roy Hodgson and didn't change much in terms of his approach to football matches. It was very uh, pragmatic. Yeah, to, yeah. To, to, to be to be fair to them. But anyway, this is a nil-all draw. Terrible game, yeah. If I remember, terrible game. Goes to penalties, and the Swiss missed their three penalties. The only thing that's worth remembering of this is that Shevchenko misses another big penalty. <laughs> <laughs> Good he takes the first penalty. He takes the first penalty for Ukraine, and he misses it, which is, I think is his first big penalty. Yeah, yeah, I think it was his first big penalty since the shootout in the in, in Istanbul in yeah. 2005. Um, I don't think he took a penalty again. Well, I think the signs are on. You don't don't be giving it. Don't 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 volunteer. I mean, it's always always amazes me. I mean, for me, certainly when I played up top, I was always I'd stand on the penalty spot. You know, if you had the bottle to take the ball off me, you know, you were going to take the penalty, but invariably, you know, somebody would just throw you the ball. I was insistent, these are my numbers, but for a fella of Shevchenko's talent, even Fernando Torres, like, you know, Ian Rush, mm. names that come to mind that, you know, didn't fancy penalties, it's just beyond me. Yeah. Do you know who I hate taking a penalty? Mo Salah, I think he's yeah. one of the worst penalty takers yeah. in history. He's 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 just he's he's just he's yeah. Exactly, and once it goes in, it's a good pen isn't it? But I agree, when he takes a pen I look at it, he never looks confident. He blasts them, you know, anything can happen. You compare him with the likes of Milner, who just never looks like he's going to miss. He's by far and away our best penalty taker, is, is Milner. Yeah. Sensational. I'd, I'd give Arnold, I'd give Alexander-Arnold the ball. I'd, I'd fancy him from 12 yards. I'm going to rock on, because mm, we've yeah. got... Um, yeah. well, I, want to, I want to close out this round with Portugal and Holland. We, uh, Brazil... Brazil play Ghana and they win 3-0. Oh, um, yeah, what a game. Ronaldo, Ronaldo scores at the opening goal, which makes him the leading all-time World Cup scorer at this point, right? So nobody's ever scored more goals in World Cups than Ronaldo. Who did some he take over from? Gerd Muller. Yeah. Of course, he was a German, and the Germans weren't too happy about this. Hmm. But there is still... This goes back to our controversies again, Keith, on this, right? There was irregular betting patterns in Asia about uh, this match and whether Ronaldo was going to score or not. And there's always been this big whiff of controversy over the fact, did Ghana let him score because of uh, betting that was going on behind the scenes? <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, seriously, that's, this is the whole thing. Now they go on, Brazil win comfortably. And if, when you're looking at it, you're thinking to yourself, ah, Jesus, they're going to handle this easy and, and, and move their way through it. Now, um, England, of course, beat Ecuador 1-0. Mm. Um, they actually... Yeah, it was a free kick from Beckham, mm. but they were anything but lacklustre in this game. Like, like they didn't look like they had any 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 look like they were going to go anywhere in this tournament. And of course, Sven Goran Eriksson showed his hand by going four five one yeah. um, in this match as well, and playing really up top in his own and dropping Crouch, who actually had a decent group stage for him, um, and being key to own. Do you know what was bad about this is that that it was almost that when Owen gets injured. Ericsson just thought, well, I can't play the same way with Crouch, so I'm just going to drop him. And but again, he's not understanding, not understanding what Peter Crouch was. I mean, I know he scores a header, I think, against Trinidad and Tobago, so I'm kind of going against my own point here. But, you know, he's super feet. Yeah, he could play that way, but, I mean, Peter Crouch yeah. is as good a player as anyone. You know, you know, in and around that box, linking up. Technically, he was excellent. Yeah, Steven Gerrard, you know, bringing him into the game. I, I never got this whole thing of, you know, let's, we can only use him like that it's as good as as anyone you know uh, with his feet 
what would I know? What would I'm... right? The two key moments in this, mm. the two key matches in this, right? So we've got Spain versus France, and Pete, you, you're an expert in Spain because you live there. Love That's Spain. all you have to be. Love you live there. You're an expert. But this is a key to me. This has always been a key moment in the Spanish mentality. They take the lead through David Villa, which is a penalty against France, yes. and they're criminal underperformers in World Cups up until now, right? And it looks like that this is the one they're going to do. But just before the stroke of half time, Ribery equalises, and this is when Zidane suddenly comes to life in this tournament. Yeah, it's but at the same time, from a Spanish point of view, I think that this defeat fundamentally changes Spain's approach from here on out and it changes their mentality as well. It's like when that 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 it's sort of that penny dropping moment. Well this was the end of this this is the end of players like Raul, if I remember. You know, the uh, the, the constant disappointment, the re- over reliance on the old guard, you know, the, I think it was the, for the first time Spain decided you know, we're going to we're going to who's who's doing well in Europe and they started to really look at Barcelona players and said, Okay, we're just going to Cut and paste what works there. Even the style of play, as much as you know, as much as we can talk about, you know, here in Spain, they, they here in Barcelona, they say that Spain is Barcelona without Messi. You know, and that's for me where it came from. Now, don't get me wrong, I I I, I personally think that Spain's uh, success in two thousand and eight was down to Marcos Senna. And the fact that they 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 figured out how to use a player like that for the first time in their history, disciplined, not giving the ball away. Now this is before Chabi became the Chabi that we understood for you know the subsequent years. But Marcus Senna for me was the was the prototype, and to allow a player to sacrifice what he does to allow really talented all those little guys from Catalonia from from Barcelona to do what it is that they do. Not instead of saying we're going to take three players from Mallorca, we're going to take two players from Madrid, we're going to take. It became okay. What's working? Let's just let's just make that work. You know. But but I think you hit the nail on the head. This is the change of Gareth Heath, and it's like when you look at this squad, the backbone of what's going to come in 2010 and 2008 in terms of the the, the Europeans and the World Cup. Was the, the European World Cup and Europeans, or was it yeah, three yeah, in a row? Was, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> And but you've you've got the backbone here. You've got Iniesta. You've got Xavi. You've got Torres. You've even got Pe- Pepe Reina in the squad now at this stage. You've got David Villa. You've got Fabregas. Oh, these are all kids coming into the squad, um, which is very unlike Spain. Um, you've got Jose Antonio Reyes, and the squads themselves were very like Sergio Ramos is twenty as well in this. You've got Puyol. I know Puyol is twenty eight, but he's going to have a big. Imp- he's going to continue to have a big impact on this team for the next two the next two championships that are there. But like this is the moment where Spain do say. But actually, we don't need to have these 35 and 36-year-olds in our squad. We don't yeah. re- really need to rely on experience. We've got Casillas. We've got this backbone of young, brilliant footballers that if we believe in them and follow it through, we can do achieve something here which has never been done before because they don't have the, 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 the that mentality that the old guard has. No. Yeah, and I said it in the last one as well, Phil, sorry for jumping in there. Um, the last World Cup, they sort of moved from being very Real Madrid-centric to a more Barcelona-style um, of a setup, and Pete touched on that as well. You know, they're going with the, the form team and the form players, but they also picked players from the other teams. As you mentioned there, Pete, Marco Senna was in this squad, was getting a few games. We had... Um, Torres and Villa. Villa would have been at Valencia, I think, at this stage. Villa, yeah. I think I don't think he had made them like, Barcelona. I don't think he was at. Yeah, I think so. He was still at Valencia. You had them there. You had um, 
Manuel Pablo or Pablo Ibanez as centre back at Atletico mm. Madrid, Man- mm. Mariano Pernil. Like there wasn't like they were just shoehorning in 34 year old Real Madrid players. They were trying to move to that sort of tick attack and nearly way of playing that Barcelona were trying to get get through at that mm. stage. And it really was a transformation. You know, we spoke in the last show, Phil, about Germany in the last World Cup had got rid of their old guard and were bringing in a new guard in this one and Spain were in the middle of their transition on this it was another step to what they were going to become yeah and this is but then the key here is that uh, well this is something that's going to happen in the future lads Zidane just takes this game and just takes it by the bollocks and just just starts starts changing the way this France team is operating it just lifts them up a level that we haven't seen in a long long time and this is tremendous to watch and it's just it's electrifying when you see it he's such He's the fulcrum for what happened goes on in this game. To, they go from being one 0 down to just taking the by the balls and being in total control and just moving things around. I think like he, this is his swan song, but he's probably the, outside of Gary McAllister's season that time for Liverpool when his one season wonder. This is one of the most amazing swan songs in the career that you're going to see because you've never seen a player turn it on in what respect to be his last major tournament the way Zidane did. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's nothing and you can he, do. We spoke. Oh. Sorry. Go ahead, Pete. No, 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 please go ahead. No, I was just going to say there that, you know, Zidane, we spoke about previously, he's the big game player. I don't think he gets the respect he deserves in um, a global sense or a recognition um, as a great. He picks teams up. He picked up France in big tournaments and when it really mattered. And even in the final that we'll come to, you know... He's he's the hero and the villain, you know what I mean? Like, but he's the big moments. Who would you rather? You wouldn't rather anyone else stepping up here than Zidane. Look, and that it, was what he was built for. Beyond big moments, beyond the obvious talents that you know, obviously he had. I mean, you're talking about arguably one of the greatest midfielders of all time. But the basic stuff in tough games, a fella that wants the ball in every every type of situation. That's yeah. for me. That's always the difference. The thing when when Zidane came back in the subsequent tournament, when when they all came back to help out Dominic, and when unfortunately we were the victims, they had Ireland in their group. I went to the the game in Dublin, and what I noticed about him is he just in every single situation he just wanted the ball. It was like he expected it. It didn't matter who was around. Well, none of our lads would get near him, but it didn't matter who was around him. He just wanted the ball, and then he he more importantly made something happen. I've never seen a player before or since, take a ball at every single ang- angle. It, he made yeah. poor passes look, look good. Yeah, it's, it's, it, it was strange. It was like watching a dancer, to be honest with you. So, yeah, big game, big tight situations. You must remember, I mean, this, this Spain team, there were no mugs. They were at the cusp of something great, but they were full of energy. I mean, and Zidane is, you know, older than all of them, but finding ways around that type of energy, it's just class. Yeah. Nothing you can a do about it. Nothing, you, nothing you can do about it. Absolutely nothing you can do about it. Right, which then takes us to the last game of the, of the first knockout phase, and that is, of course, the Battle of Nuremberg, which was between Holland and Portugal. Now, I wish that this was a, a an end-to-end six-goal thriller, but it wasn't. Mm. Um, it was 16 yellow cards, four sending-offs, um, Numerous incidents in what ends up being a one nil game. <laughs> like, yeah, and four red cards for second yellows as well. Like, not yeah, not even straight yellows. You've got you've got Figo doesn't get sent off, but he headbutts Mark from Bommel at one stage as well, and somehow manages not to get sent off. Oh. So the quote of the game that comes from um, Big Phil after this, 
uh, gave his approval to the head book, uh, stating that Jesus Jesus may be able to turn the other cheek, but Luis Figo isn't Jesus Christ, <laughs> which is probably the only Fair tournament. <laughs> it's the only, the only quote you need from that whole tournament. There's, there's more there. Um, there's also uh, a melee on the touchline um, involving Bill Rose. Bill Rose, of course, gets Ronaldo out of the game early in this because mm. he batters him yes, the just job. before half-time. He was a butcher. And, yeah, and... Ah, oh, he literally was. He, he was. He was uh, Angel Nadal reborn oh, in yeah. terms of being the, the <laughs> next thing. He couldn't run more than five yards, but he didn't mind because you weren't going to run no, exactly. five yards either. He was going to take the knees off you. Exactly. And um, in this, with this one, he he takes out Ronaldo. He passes <laughs> Ronaldo, and he was clearly intentional. He even said himself it was clearly to take part, uh, Ronaldo out of the game. Ronaldo goes off crying for a change in the World Cup, mm. which is very unlike him. What does he go off? Thirty-four yeah. minutes or something. Ronaldo's gone, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's just before. Yeah, happened. I think yeah, he smashed him, and then he got sent off for something else uh, uh, about ten or fifteen minutes into the second half. <laughs> Good <laughs> lord, Van Bommel is like. Van Bommel is just Van Bommel. He's 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 Van Bommel is one of those players who's either dishing out the door to, or, or on the receiving end of it. And Manish had been booked for a foul on him after 90 minutes. For he comes in through the back of him as well. And um, as I said, he's involved in the. So clearly, Van Bommel was spending his time walking around the pitch just winding. Well, of course, that, that was his, he made a career of it. Mark Van Bommel is yeah. one of those players that made a, yeah. makes a career of just being an axe. Like Pepe. Pepe's yeah. one of those, you know, you'd say, I'd love to smash him. I, I hate his guts. Van Bommel is one of them. You know, but gets away with it. All smiles to the referee, you know, all all goody goody, but you know, the pinches, the wine, yeah, he's he's a throwback Van Bommel. I hate yeah. him. Puff puff laugh, man. This this also has the famous moment where uh, um <laughs> Deco gets booked, he also gets sent off later on. Um and the Dutch then don't give the ball back to Portugal. Right, uh, <laughs> I remember out, so to get medical, right, <laughs> and then, then there's a brawl on the pitch. <laughs> Schneider, <laughs> Schneider then gets booked for shoving over one of the Portuguese lads, and Van der Vaart, who can't go too far either, he gets he gets a yellow card for descent. Um, the Portuguese goalkeeper he gets a yellow for time wasting. That's right. And this is at Milan. They, they haven't scored at this stage, right? So this is a good thing. Nuno Valente then is also booked. Um, Deco gets a second yellow card and he's dismissed in the 78 minute. Oh, all that in the space of about five or six minutes. <laughs> yeah. This is like we're talking from the 62 minute on. Right? <laughs> this is just after Bill O'Reilly was sent off, right? Um, then Kaku r- wrestles Deco to the ground uh, <laughs> to try and get the ball back. Then Samel gets um, kicked by Van der Sar. Van der Sar gets a uh, yellow card. <laughs> <laughs> then Van Brankhorst is sent off for a foul on Thiago. Right at the end, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is insane. Yeah, it's but like, it was a bitching match, really. Too. I mean, you're talking about, I mean, count the yellow cards. You're talking about, I mean, it, how many serious incidents were there? It's just niggly and bitchy. It's, to be honest with you, I'd be more looking at the referee saying, what were you at? I mean, you, you want to get a grip of this. Do you know, it's one of those where little nip to you, you, you sort someone out early for something not so serious and you set the tone, you know? Like, would a Pierluigi Colina have not a hold of that tall. game early on? Not, not at all. It'd be interesting to see who, who the referee was, actually. There's <laughs> a Russian guy called Valentin Ivanov. Yeah, well, maybe. Yeah, what, what, I think is, what I thought was amazing in this, though, is that there was only 
three yellow cards before 20 minutes. Now, we're talking about 16 yellow cards, right? So that's... Yeah. So you 20 minutes where there's only three yellow cards. That means there's 14 yellow cards in the next 70 minutes. <laughs> right? It's absolute madness. Which is insane. However, it gets worse because after that, you've only got two yellow cards before half time. So we've got five yellow cards at half time, right? We're going to now have a red card in at the end of it. So we're going to have three more red cards and 11 yellows in the second half. But it's, 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 literally, the Portuguese took the lead in the 23rd minute and they said mm. they're not going to let the Dutch play. And their plan worked to an absolute tee. And, but it's very un-Brazilian. Like, remember, this is a big field Brazilian side yeah, as well. Yeah, so it's yeah. like... Everyone's expecting this to be a, like a replica of his Brazil side as opposed to his um, to, to, to this sort of <laughs> bastard <laughs> style of football that was there. But I guess the, the, the Portuguese learned a lot from being beaten by Greece in that 2004 European Championship. Of course, they were, I mean, they were completely turned over. I mean, that was the first time we'd, we'd ever actually seen that kind of negativity at international level, where it was just spoil, spoil. It's the worst thing I've ever seen. But the Portuguese are the architects of their own downfall. I mean, for me, my memory of, of Portugal, great width, fantastic in, in midfield, pretty decent at the back. You know, they were, they were still... I mean, Carvalho was one of the top sweepers in the world at yeah, the time. But for me, they never really had a killer centre-forward. Now, you might yeah. argue, Phil, that um, Nuno... It uh, was a Nuno Gomez, I think, no, who was a, no. a young substitute. So, and Paolo Pauletta, who was their main number. For me, Paolo Pauletta didn't score enough goals. He was a flop, he was. Yeah, dead Roy P. Pauletta going into every big tournament was this, you know, oh, he's yeah. banging in goals for PSG or whoever he was playing at the time. And he never done it. Even if he got the odd goal, his performances were always muck. And that's always what killed him. And it was only when they got Ronaldo that they got the absolute assassin up front that they never had. Because we spoke about them as well previously. They had a golden generation in previous World Cups when they had like Kuto, Rui Costa, uh, Paolo Bento, Joao Pinto, all these guys. But they couldn't put the ball in the net. No, no, my finishers. And it's all, it's all good. It's, 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 like, it's like the... But this, this, you know, it's like England. This, this, yeah. is, Pete, this is a historic problem. And, and in reality, Ronaldo is their only world-class forward ever. Well, Xavier like, wasn't bad. Well, he's not. He wasn't a forward again. He's another attacking midfielder. Like, yeah, you yeah. know, so you you talk about like Ronaldo, and Ronaldo is a converted winger or wide forward who's now plays through the centre. Whereas when he started out originally, and this World Cup, he's not their centre forward. Well, this he's is it. I mean, you're probably hitting a nail on it. I don't know if it's a cultural thing or a mentality thing. For me, a centre forward is from. Take for example Jimmy Hasselbank, who played this football in Portugal and Holland. Strange, we're talking about this game. This is a guy who does not care what is between him and that goal. If, if your head is in the way, your head is going to the back of that back of that net. You know, and I think that this is what this is what Portugal have always. P- people criticise Ronaldo. He's not my favourite personality, but he's so single-minded that it's not a coincidence that they've actually managed to win a tournament with him in the squad. They've never had, you're right, they've never had a single-minded centre-forward before. If you look at the greatest Portuguese players of all time, before we wrap up on them, you're talking about Eusebio in the 60s, and as Phil pointed out, he wasn't a centre-forward, he was an attacker, but he wasn't a centre-forward. You had Paulo Futre in the 80s into the 90s, a number 10, not a centre-forward. You had Figo then, a winger, not a centre forward, and then you've Ronaldo, who eventually became the goal machine. So they've never had a good striker centre forward in their history. Like, 
madness for a country as as football talents go. I, I think Portugal are very busy trying to sell us this this beautification of the game that is not necessarily. Sometimes, for example, you know, I remember when Liverpool were winning things when I was a kid. John Aldridge, I mean, there was days when he couldn't trap a ball, but okay. over over five or six yards getting on the end of things, 32 goals, thank you very much. Job done. The players look to the captain. The captain looks to the manager. And the manager looks to you. It's time to be heard. Pitch is the new app that gives football fans the voice you deserve. Get your views sent straight to media pundits, commentators and the club you love. From dodgy penalties to rating match performance, make your opinion count. The manager's looking to shut him off and the fans agree. Download the Pitch app for free today. Be heard. Attention Social Security and SSI recipients. If you did not receive an economic impact payment for your eligible spouse or dependents, you may need to file a 2020 tax return with the IRS and claim the recovery rebate credit. Go to ssa.gov EIP to see if you need to file a tax return and if eligible for other refundable tax credits, like the child tax credit. That's ssa.gov EIP. Produced at U.S. taxpayer expense. Right, let's, uh, I'm going to push on to the quarters and we're going to stay with Portugal because Portugal get England in the quarterfinal. Oh, which, yeah. Um, and this th- this game is an absolute damn squib. There's nothing much to remember in, in, in terms of po- positive pieces. But the only thing that this game is memorable for mm-hmm. is Wayne Rooney sending off. Idiot. This is the one... This Yeah, but this is the one where Rooney... Um, was, he, 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 he'd been injured by Carvalho... Yeah. In by Chelsea, Carvalho broke his foot in the league game, yeah. and he went out to do Carvalho in the city. He was so frustrated because he was getting no joy out of the the um, Portuguese defence. By the way, Carvalho is one of the most underrated defenders of, in the last Love, twenty years. Absolutely, people don't talk about him enough. Mm. When, when we talk about Cannavaro, and all, Carvalho was, was was up there. Sorry, but you look at it, and basically he goes and does them in the sixty second minute, and essentially. He goes and he causes England to be eliminated from this World Cup because he doesn't keep his head and he ends up putting this thing to the thing. But if you, he isn't getting sent off until Ronaldo goes over to the referee and starts giving out stink to the referee. And the referee, it's that, it's that piece that really pisses them off. The and wing. the referee it's goes the wing, wasn't it? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. This is the bit when he sees the red card, Ronaldo looks back to the bench and gives the wink. Yeah. And it's. That was. Do you remember? The, do you remember the press in England oh, after the game? Oh, yeah. They love a escape. Oh, out, born, born, in effigies, born in effigies. Born in effigies. Yeah. Ronaldo must go. Man, must Man United should get rid of him. Yeah. Yeah. Welcome, this welcome. is another example. This is another example of Sven not really planning his squad well. He went in that with Rooney, right? As you pointed out there, Phil, he got injured before it. With interaction with Carvalho, he went with one up front with Wayne Rooney against a tough, tough defence. Do you know what I mean? So if he starts getting frustrated, and we've seen Wayne Rooney down the years, if Wayne Rooney gets frustrated, nine times out of ten he can lose the head. Now he can ping one into the top corner as well. Don't get me wrong, but he's the type of player who can lose his head. And this to me was just setting it up. You have him on his own up there, and he's just going to be getting no, no change out of him at all. And that's how it panned out, and he loses the head and gets sent Well, it's classic, it's classic England again. You know, pick, uh, round, round, square pegs and round holes, picking the best players and not thinking about the game, not thinking about what is the best. I mean, Phil, Phil made the point earlier on, Carvalho, and I agree, I, I love Carvalho. He's one of those players that, I, you know, when we 
you're looking for someone to replace Hansen years and years and years. You're thinking, oh, there's another player who could have replaced Hansen. It could have been. I'm looking at. I'm thinking about Peter Crouch, and I'm thinking it's working, it's functional, and he has other players playing. Okay, he's not the star-billing, diamond-rated centre-forward, but he's bringing the best out of Frank Lampard, bringing the best out of Steven Gerrard. He's got he's something to hit for David Beckham. No, 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 we'll play Wayne Rooney, who likes to sit deep and try to create things because he's getting impatient. And all of a sudden, you've got this crowded six players in one space trying to make something happen with nobody looking to get it. It's classic England. Always the same with them. Yeah. 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 So, like, again, that goes to penalties, and the English knew that they were definitely going through um, until, unfortunately, um, if I'm right, we have Carragher taking a penalty and missing. We have Gerard taking a penalty and missing. And Lampard taking a penalty and missing, right? So Gerard and Lampard are just saying, nah, there's no way that they're missing penalties, but they do. The only players to score for England were Hargreaves. Yeah. But even saying that, Carragher was a good penalty taker as well. He'd scored a few good ones for us in, um, for Liverpool in tournaments as well, so... But the, the bigger the bigger one for me, Keith, is that you think to yourself, right, with them missing out of penalties, surely Portugal just romp in. No, because Portugal scored the fourth penalty, then they missed their next two. If if, you, if if anyone remembers watching this, right, mm. Lampard takes the fourth, mm. Samuel scores, and I'm jumping up and down going, Grant, they're gone here, right? So And then I was thinking, now, the person that misses fourth always tends to win these penalty shootouts. Hargreaves then scores to equalise, and Hugo Viana misses the next penalty, right? And they're going, here you go, this is what's going to happen now. Next minute, Gerard steps up, of all players, and he misses. And then they're uh, petted, or petit, well, it's not petit, because it wasn't Manu Petit, but it was, um, steps up and misses for partial. So they're basically level one off with two, with two penalties left each to play. Yeah. Carragher steps up, misses, then Pastiga scores. Portugal must go first, and then Ronaldo scores the fifth penalty. Uh, in England, now get to take the fifth penalty, and that was the end of it. Carragher's a retake, wasn't it? I think, really sure. I think, yeah, Carragher was made to take the penalty. Um, because either the ball moved or the ball wasn't properly on the spot in terms of what it was. So that's that's England gone from the, the World Cup. It was all Ronaldo's fault in the end. And then the big inquest led to... Well, did Sven get sacked after this because of the wags? The wags, the, the, the Jermaine Defoe decision, anything, scapegoating. You know. Yeah, so he was he was scapegoated and given the heave how and everyone yeah. McLaren was there for the way, wasn't he in the Euros? Yeah, well, he should. Right, so then going back then to the other quarterfinals, because we'll, we'll I'll run through Italy beat, comfortably beat Ukraine. It's probably the one game in the tournament where Italy uh, just just really dominate the game in 90 minutes. Yeah. The, Zambrotta scores an absolute belter after six minutes, if you remember. Yeah. He, he more or less runs from being a fullback and bangs it into the top corner. And then Luke, then Luca Tony. The only time I ever remember him scoring goals, man, is the pops in with two goals in the 59th and 69th minute. Luca Tony is a lethal striker, but yeah, <laughs> international front maybe not, but for clubs, he was banged in goals. Whenever I think of Luca Tony, I just think of Andrea Salenzi. I know it's not him, but I just, that's why I was, I was picking up like a model, lad. isn't it? Oh, yeah. yeah. Tony had more than a and he was good. With, he was good in Germany when he went to Bayern. He was great. He was unlucky. Bayern. Yeah, he was. Just one of those that he's not quite your first choice, but he's the the lad you throw on fifteen twenty. Well, first for Bayern Munich and winning World Cups, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. But we thought in the previous ones, like it, Christian Vieri had sort of spearheaded Italy's attacks in previous World Cups, and he was phenomenal. And this time you've got Luca Toni, and you've got. Um, the likes of uh, Vincenzo Iacinta and all coming on. They didn't have the quality of striker, but they had maybe the, the players around them were that bit better, you know? 
So we've got we're we're on to the the two bigger games. So you've got Germany against Argentina, and what people forget about this is that obviously Germany is the host nation, and there's mad crowds. But Argentina bashed Germany in this game. Yeah, absolutely bashed Germany in this game. They like they they look like the champions are waiting at this point in time. Um, Roberto Ayala scores in the 49th minute, and it looks like they're going to cruise home. And then Peckerman, the manager. Commit football and suicide. Yeah, makes that change. He, yeah, with, with seventy nine or with ten minutes or eleven minutes to go, he takes um, one Raquel May off the pitch to rest them for the semi finals. You just like this is a World Cup quarter final. You're taking a player off to rest them for the semi final, and what happens? The inevitable. Miroslav Klose. Yeah, the only goal he scores in the knockout stages. Miroslav Klose pops up in the 80th minute and bangs one in to to level it up. Right, Argentina changed the keeper in this game. Was Abondanzieri went off at the same time as Raquel May, well, 71 and 72. I don't know, did he pick up a knock or what? I think he picked up a hamstring. Because Leo Franco came on. Yeah, if memory saves me right, I think he picks up a hamstring. But go on. Um, right, so not much has happened in this game. We go to penalties. And a bit like the uh, uh, Wayne Rooney incident, this, this game is incredibly famous for what Keith. Oh, what? Uh, the Jens Lehmann, wasn't it? Ah, yeah. Yes, Jens yes, Lehmann. Yes, yes, Jens Lehmann pulling out the, uh, the, the direction <laughs> and the favour directions of the players. Uh, yes, and from his luck. He's a shit yeah. house. <laughs> He's a shit house. He is a shit house, isn't he? He is. And do you know what? This is something that has become a thing since then, isn't it? Like you've keepers yeah. on the water bottles and all that sort of thing. But yeah, Lehmann pulls it out. He was a wily old fucker, wasn't he, Jens Lehmann? Right. Yeah, yeah, never gets the credit he deserves either. He was always seen as a bit of a loon, but he was actually a very good keeper, a very intelligent keeper, and um, this was very modern. Yeah, this was one of them times. Was Khan still in the squad around there? I think he was, and there was a big, was there a big furore about Khan and Lehman, and Lehman yeah. got the the start over. Yeah, but this is Khan's. This was Khan's last World Cup. Um, and Lehman was given the nod ahead of him because he was kind of sort of on the wind down at this stage. Um, but Lehman was the better goalkeeper and proved this because he, he saves two of the Argentinian penalties and gets he saves Cambiasso's and Ayala's in the penalty shootout. Um, and Germany, strange enough, score all four of their penalties. <laughs> <laughs> Oliver Neufel again popping up. The strange. <laughs> Scar and goal and Podolski. This is where Podolski becomes a, a myth, a, an enigma wrapped in a myth, um, where he just scores loads of goals. It's a bit like he was the, he's the modern day Davar Sukar, and um, yeah. didn't scores many at club level, but scored tons of goals for fun in important league. ones as well. Yeah. yeah. So that's Germany true. So we've got Portugal with Germany, and we've got Italy true. So next up, the last chance for somebody that not from. Um, Europe to get through it's Brazil versus France everyone is, is expecting Kaká Rivaldo Ronaldo Ronaldinho sorry Kaká Ronaldinho Ronaldo and Adriano to, to blitz the French here um, and of course the French team had come off that horrific 2002 World Cup where they all hate each other mm-hmm. but this this again is the Zidane show oh yeah ready come at the hour come at the man yeah uh, what do you remember please? I just remember Thierry Henry and his, you know, just again popping up his ability. To be honest with you, you know his finishing. But for me, it's exactly as you say, Zidane just springing to life, 
just I, I don't think I don't, you know I never expected to see uh, I remember you know we always fancy Brazil and even if they don't do the business you expect them to dominate the game you expect them to have the, you expect maybe maybe a France to have a, a moment or two but I remember this game being pretty much all France to be honest with you and particularly the second half was just the Zidane show you know it was just it's just you know uh, I think we were speaking a little bit earlier on about that God-given ability to want the ball in the most high-pressure situation doesn't come much more high-pressure than it does against the greatest team in World Cup history you know them Brazil this of course this is a a repeat of the quarter-final from 1986 that's right. That went yeah. the penalties. The the famous yeah. Joel Batts goal. Joel Bats, yeah, yeah. That's right. yeah, 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 yeah. So but again, I, and it's funny you use that as a, as a as a as a reference because this Brazil team for me was full of creative quality as well as eighty six. But maybe they were a little bit short in those areas that Brazilian teams now are famous for having. You know that that tough holding midfielder like you know we talk about Fabinho. This. This Brazil team didn't have that level of discipline. I thought Lucio was excellent in this tournament, coming out from the back, making things happen. But they didn't have that, you know, they didn't have that player. Was you know, they didn't have that that for me that top class holding midfield player that could they could yeah. stop teams breaking on them. That he had season, who for me is Jorginho Silva that ended up at Arsenal. Emerson they have, as well. Yeah. Emerson guys, was, was but, but they were they top class? Not for me. Not for me. Well, like th- to be fair, at this stage you've got Brazil, you've got France. People are expecting though the four, the, the the four up top to make this happen, and nobody's expecting. But what I think what what becomes apparent is how good Zinedine Zidane is going to be for this World Cup, and how he's single-handedly dragging this French team into a semi-final, and he does because it's his it's his clip to Henri that leads to the goal, and Henri buries it, and that's as I said, game set and match. Um, Brazil couldn't break him down, and Ronaldinho had a had a poor. Game in that match, he didn't turn up in that quarter final whatsoever. So, lads, we've got a, we've got since I think it's the it was an all European semi final. Um, it's only the fourth time. the The last two was twenty four, sixty six, and eighty two. Right. So we've we've got Germany, we've got Germany and Italy, mm. um, uh, best mates during World War Two, oh, and yeah. we've got yeah, <laughs> we've got Portugal and France. Uh, don't really know much what happened between those two in World War Two. Uh, not much, um, but you, obviously you've got the host nation taking on Italy, and um, this is as tight as you're going to get. Um, there's no goals, um, there's not much really to talk about. That's going. To, it just looks like the Germans are going to take the Italians to to penalties in a repeat in 1990, yeah, um, and get themselves into a final and home turf because of course there's there's the level of expectation in Germany now, especially playing their old foe in, in Italy, is huge, but. Like football does, you've got Grosso mm. again, marauding fullback for an Italian side, and he scores an absolute pinger right at the at the death. If you remember this, yeah, yeah. I, I, the thing that the thing that springs to mind about Italy for me, every tournament we talked about it earlier on, they seem to it's almost like a wild card. Somebody that you go, hang about, how did he even get into this twenty-two? Let alone be in the eleven. Let alone be the man that seems to be that seems to be the one that's going to turn this game. Every tournament. You talked about Scilacci earlier on. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Oh, but there is. Yeah, yeah, they're right, Pete. They do. And Grosso scores in the 119th minute. And it was a corner. It was a corner. Yeah. yeah. Del Piero then scores in the 121 or something like that. So right, really, when you say yeah. at the death. Yeah. yeah. It really was at the death. I remember. It was, the, it was so yeah. finished because if you, 
it was again it was the genius of of Pirlo. He, I think he skates across two lads in front of the box, and he just everyone's think expecting to clip it to the back post, but instead he just slides the ball onto Grasso, who's just standing on the right hand side. Grasso torn swivels and pulled pummeled the side net with it with the shot. It's, it's just amazing. It's the Italian the Italian team at this stage knew that it was done. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. uh, cl- uh, classic Italy. Rope a dope. Exactly. And as you say, Germany would have been confident enough to get that to penalties because traditionally they would have been comfortable on home turf. They had a fancy their chances getting through there. But didn't get to it. Um, then we have in the second semi final, obviously, we've got France and Portugal. Um, and this again, there's a Dan show. He scores a penalty at the 23 minutes. But it wasn't just, it wasn't just the. the that 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 scoring the penalty at two to three minutes, he's just uh, his overall game and that is he just looks leagues above everyone else in this tournament. And he's at this stage, he, he's he's odds on to win the the golden boot if you remember. Yeah, golden ball. Yeah, yeah it's golden ball too. Yeah, he's, uh, yeah. It's worth going back and having a look on YouTube for anybody of Zidane's two thousand and six World Cup. It's like, some of it is like um, the old, you know, Europe against the rest of the world exhibition matches that they used to do back then. He's, his control under pressure, as Pete mentioned earlier, tight spaces, didn't believe in tight spaces, give him the ball anywhere, and he's getting out of it. It's an absolute joy to watch, though, really. Anyone that hasn't, or can't remember it, go back and look. Sensational footballer, and from the knockouts in this tournament, he just literally gives France a jockey back. They weren't a great squad. Wasn't a great French squad, and he carries them through. To be honest, the biggest, the biggest, you know, compliment you can pay to to the player himself, to Zidane, is the fact that Raymond Dominic. I mean, he's a nothing manager. The man's an actor. Yeah, he's no. a nothing manager. Yeah. I mean, he won't be remembered. He won't be remembered as being a fantastic manager. Do you remember? Do you know what his philosophy was? No, but I could tell you what Zidane's philosophy is and was as a player. It's the biggest. Con- I mean, this was Zidane's team. He's been managing. You know, a lot longer than he's been officially managing. Let's be honest. Yeah, that's true. It's a very good point. Very good coach on the pitch. He was a coach on the pitch. It's mad to think that Bertha's in the squad as well. <laughs> yeah, I'm on you, sir. Yeah, I just realised, and that's what I was looking at their squad. And it's you know, Bar- in that game, right, the Portugal game, it's Bertha's, Willie Sanyal, Lillian Turan, Gallas, and Abadal at the back. You've got Vieira, McAuley. And Zidane, and then you'd Ribery on the right wing, Maluda on the left, and Henri up front. Maluda, absolute bluffer, that guy, bluffer. But like you have, you have Toram. You've got like when you think about the lads that were still knocking around, you Trezeguet as well as in the squad. Like loads of these are wow. the backbone of their nineteen ninety eight and yeah. two thousand successes. So it's like these are these are lads who are just you know who who've been knocking around for nearly ten years at this stage yeah. in terms of France's when they talk about France golden generation. But it's Zidane. Who's the only one that can live through it? Like, you know, like when when I say live through, he's the one that delivers right the way through this tournament. And of course, he scores this goal to get them into the final. And it's almost like you're thinking of 1998. I remember the narrative around this was at the time was Jesus, he's going to win this tournament for him, isn't he? He's going to win this. This is Dan is going to win this tournament again for him. It's just he's he's just on a different gravy to everyone else at this planet. How are Italy going to stop him? There's no no Italian midfield is going to be able to stop this player. This is this is the inevitability that we're looking at. That, that this is. Zinedine Zidane's final. He's the Adidas ambassador. He's wearing Adidas. He's in Germany. Germany obviously, the ball is the Adidas ball. Yeah. They produced the special golden boots from for the final, if you remember, right? So it was like it was, it was. But he's just 
And he'd announced he was retiring as well, wasn't it? It was known that it was his last, it was a swan song as well. It was all written in the stars. If you want, to, if anyone, if anyone has the time, and we, God, everyone got plenty of time at the moment to sit around. But if you watch one match from that World Cup to see how good Zidane was, go back and watch the Brazil France game. We've sort of glossed around it because it's, it's again, it's it's it, 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 France win a country enough, but like Brazil don't do much enough. But if you watch the play of Zidane in that game, he's on a different planet to everyone else. He reads the game so much earlier than everyone else. He's able to. He knows where the players he's playing against. I got what they're going to do next. It's just a joy to But this is what I'm saying. I, I, I've always felt in that game and in other games against Brazil, to be honest with you, not just Zidane, the freedom that that Brazil team gave to players. I, I mean, lovely. I mean, they had they had Ronaldo, they had uh, Adriano up top. It was like a video game they were playing. They just, it just it wasn't disciplined. There was nothing. It was like it was like it doesn't matter what they're going to do. We're going to try and do it one or two better. Football doesn't well, work. It, doesn't it work was, that way. It just doesn't work that way. You know, they relied on force of their own character, wasn't it? They overwhelmed the opposition. So we can get away with a seven out of ten by some players because we know Ronaldo and Ronaldinho are going to probably give us annoyance. I mean, but when you come up against as a band. Yeah, I mean, Claude McAlady, for example, gives you a license to play. I'm not saying Zidane, Zinedine Zidane needs license to play. He doesn't. But isn't it fantastic to have someone as disciplined as a Claude McAlady, even in his mid-30s, which I believe he was at, at this stage. You know, uh, But he's still doing it for Real Madrid or Chelsea. Was he at Chelsea at, at, at this stage, I think? But he was, yeah, he was still, yeah. doing, still doing the business. You know, and even Madrid were, were talking about the fact that they had sold him too early. So, Brazil at this stage didn't have that and it's telling at the moment now that they're pretty strong again that they do they insist on having that you know it's just for me you cannot you can't you can't play fantasy football at the highest level certainly and I think this was the beginning the end of the fantastic 11s you know so that's this. So we have our finalists. I'm not gonna. I don't care about the tour place playoff because they just play all the reserve yeah, lads. It doesn't exactly. matter at this stage, right? But we have our finalists. It's a repeat of the Euro 2000 final. It's Italy yeah. against um, uh, France. Um, and we've got like as we've just been saying, we've got so many of the same actors from those matches. It's bizarre, you know, six, six years later, back in the squads and playing in these finals. That, um, but it's all set up as I said. The 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 the, the press sort of um, agenda at the time was that this is, as you said, Zidane has announced he's gone, and this is his swan song, and nobody has been able to get near this fella in the whole tournament. Um, how what what score are France going to win this World Cup? There was really no respect for it. It was like Italy are good and they're very defensive, but it's just a matter of time until Fran, that Zidane breaks them down and opens this up. And sure, he knows them all from his years at Juventus. But lads, what is your memory of this match outside of the incident? <laughs> the penalty. Right? The penalty. Yeah. How, how dare you? I don't care who you are. How, everything how, about it. Everything about that penalty. Buffon. Buffon, for starters, yeah. the world's greatest goalkeeper standing in front of you. He knows you. You know. How very dare you? And then, yeah. to, do you know what I loved about that penalty? The fact that he pulled up, but the fact that he hits the underside of the bar, bounces down, he doesn't even yeah. bother looking across the linesman. He just no. runs away. Yeah, that's a goal. Yeah. <laughs> it was just, there was no, it was just, that's who he was. It was, it was set up to be the greatest sort of swan song of, of any player. You know, we talked about redemption of other of Ronaldo in other um, tournaments. Was it Dante go out doing a Penenka in off the crossbar against Buffon? It was just 
Jesus, I remember that vividly. It was in lights. I'm like, because I was only huge at Dan fan, and back then he was my favourite player, and I couldn't believe that he was at that down that against Belfon. And I thought, oh, this is it. Blow this game up because nothing's happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah, pretty much, pretty much. And then it's, it's only a few minutes later. Then the Matrix scores for Italy. Mm. It explodes. Yeah. Ex Evertonian reject Marco Materazzi. <laughs> Ferries a header if I'm right uh, from a corner. Yeah, it was yeah, a yellow corner. It was a fabulous yeah. header. To be fair, <laughs> it was. Now this goal, right? So the the Ryan's man give it. But if you remember, there there is controversy around this because. FIFA said they weren't going to bring out any goal line technology or replays or whatever. But there's a delay in the awarding of the initial um, the penalty, right? Mm. Because when you watch it back, all the France players are claiming it. And the linesman that's standing on the line does not flag that that ball crossed the line, yeah. right? And there's been a thing about this for years. So you know the headbutt that happens between Matarazzi and, and Zidane that appears later on? There was... If you look, I think, does the fourth official go and look at a monitor to see what happened? Yeah, yeah. And the fourth official at this stage isn't allowed to interfere with the game. And he tells the referee, and this is what happens in terms of the sending off. But throughout that game, Zidane is on, again, a different plane. Like he's picking passes out. Like he's finding space in against an Italian defence, which is just ridiculous. And they're trying to give him a hatch job, and he's picking out passes left, right and centre, and he's giving them an incredible... Opportunity and a platform to go on and win the win the World Cup at this stage, but I just like that this France team was was like they weren't the '98 France team. I think it's fair to say they weren't. It was a more pedestrian team. I think it was, you know, they had got players that like to attack. Like Ribery would have been, um, you know, young enough at this stage, and Maluda would, you know, Henri a bit of verve about them, but they weren't. Um, you know, it wasn't an all-round good team, and Zidane was just on another planet on on this. And I don't know. Um, I know he goes off late. You know, it's extra time when the the headbutt happens. But are, are the heads gone then? Do you know what I mean? Is that the nail in the coffin? Because the overriding image of the whole thing is Zidane walking off, touching the World Cup. And the head is down, you know what I mean? And it's it was a heartbreaking image like for myself, I was a huge Zidane fan. After that, couldn't tell you what happened. The problem well, is I think, I, yeah. sorry, Pete, go on, go on, go on. Go on. Pro- problem for me is if you've dominated a game so much and you've dominated all the big teams so much, you've then gone on to pretty much dominate the final. You know, you're the one making the forward play and then you've been caught, you know, almost with your pants down from a set piece. It's very, very difficult to come back. It's almost like the wind is blowing in that direction. It, yeah. You know, your name's just not on it. That can be, it's self-defeating prophecy almost. It, it can be almost impossible to come back. Well, the, throughout this game, the treatment the Italians give them, so a bit like what the um, Portuguese did to Rooney and getting them sent off, right? a bit like what the Dutch did to Ronaldo to get him injured, they were beating the hell off. Like they were basically trying to assault them as the game went on. And, People forget that in the 78th or 79th minute, Zidane calls to be taken off because he gets pummeled by Cannavaro in the air and he lands funny and it looks like he's dislocated the shoulder because he, I think he gets about two or three minutes treatment on the ground and it looks like they pop the shoulder back in um, and he carry he has to carry his right arm very funny for the rest of the match. And it was constant. 
So when we go into extra time, like we don't know what, like again, we know this is his retirement, this is a swan song, right? Like, <laughs> what are you going to do? He's given it everything to win this game, um, and, and as we said, he's also the coach essentially of that team. Dominic isn't going to do anything. So if the Dan's not doesn't have a strong manager to take him off, he's not going to come off. Mm. No, no, he doesn't. But as the as the extra time progresses, like he, again, it's all it's it's a Dan, it's a Dan, it's a Dan in terms of what it is, and. He has a moment that should win the game because the ball is, is played out to their... I can't remember who the right back... I think it was Willie Sagnol was the right Wars, back. Yeah. Munich player. Oh, yeah. hmm. And he fires the most incredible bullet header, right? The only the only thing I'd say is it's straight down the throat to Buffon, right? But it's an absolute bullet. But the save Buffon pulls off, he gets underneath and cuts it and pushes it up over the crossbar. It's an absolutely incredible save. And I don't know, I thought after that happens... There's almost a change in Zidane. It's like he gets angry about what's going to happen next. Before the whole thing goes on, it's like he gets just incredibly angry about what, as, as to what's going on, that there's nobody else there left to help him on this French side. Exactly. And he's, he's mad with the world. Yeah. And you, are, you touched on something there a minute ago, Phil. They are niggling at him. They are kicking him. And he played in Italy. He played for Juventus. These, a lot of these fellas know he's, he was always a temperamental, hot-headed player. Right, he was always he had that in him. He got sent off in the '98 World Cup, and they knew you could push his buttons, and they done it, and they done it. And the, like the thing that leads up to the head buttons, fucking nothing. Do you know what I mean? Like it's, it's, a, it's a culmination it's not, of a few things. It is, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It was a, a coming together with um, Matarazzi. Matarazzi, sure. Lads, and it's only three minutes after I had it. It's three minutes yeah. after I had it. His, his focus is gone. You know, after that header, that's it's like oh, that's it. That's the chance is gone. And no one else is doing that in here. What am I doing? It's difficult. And it takes them nearly it takes them nearly a minute to make the decision on the pitch because the game the game plays on. There's nobody there's nobody doing anything. The game is played on, and it's only that the fourth official goes and looks at the camera, um, calls the ref's attention over, and then he gets sent off. There was no flag from the linesman. There was no. Now go back to mad decisions and why FIFA wouldn't just accept, um. Uh, video technology and all that type of stuff. Um, it's just like it's 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 pure random. It's pure absolute random, and they use the video evidence to to get them sent off. And it's like, sadly, but I think what's gas is that despite um, Italy going on and winning the World Cup, and like, let's think about it. Cannavaro wins the World Cup. Um, Del Piero manages to win a World Cup, something that Baggio did manage to do. Um, and you've got Totti winning the World Cup, you've Buffon winning the World Cup. You know, you've got all these players winning a World Cup that we now just take for granted. There's there's an Italian team to, to win the but like nobody thinks of anything bar Zidane's headbutt and Zidane's performance in that 2006 tournament. It was, uh, in some ways, it's not a, a memorable tournament for me personally, like, looking back at it, it was one, you know, we've done a lot of these shows now, and I always say, oh, I wasn't into that tournament, and I look back at it, and I'm, oh no, jeez, it was actually better than I actually remembered. This tournament wasn't, and it's just, uh, the only thing I can think about when it is the Dan, you know, the, the Zidane headbutt, the Zidane play all the way to the final, and then the headbutt to go out, you know, it's the overriding memory of the of the whole thing, and without getting too soppy about it, you know what I mean. It was a very sad way from the go. But if you read about the all of it afterwards, he he was unrepentant. The French public loved him. They done a poll. Was he right? Yeah, he was right. Fuck well, more him. tellingly, you know, we, more tellingly, the Italians, the Italian public turned against Marco Materazzi. 
Yeah, well, remember, you remember as well, right, if we talk about the incident for a few minutes, like the English and all that had lip readers, the sun. Yeah, yeah. The mirror at the star, one, three newspapers, and they came out saying that he called his mother a, a whore, mm-hmm. son of a whore or something like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, they had to publicly apologise to them, had to publicly apologise to Matarazzi for that, and they had to, he sealed them off a libel as well. Um, but there was such a few more. Matarazzi has a, a tradition of being a, a bit of a psycho and a slave, and that everyone's like, nah, he definitely, definitely done something. And the incident was nothing. What actually happened was nothing. As I said, it was constant, constant, the constant attention that the that the Italians have given Zidane. That say from Buffon, his head just goes and he explodes. It is, and it was what happened. They they had a little interaction. Amaterasi pulls a short, and Zidane says to him, "If you want it that bad, I'll give it to you after the game." Mm. And they all said, um, "Yeah, this." What the media said, Zidane came out and said that. He said something unforgivable, and the lip reading experts came out and said he said he, the the son of a terrorist whore was what they said. Matarazzi had said, right, son of a terrorist whore. Matarazzi did. Matarazzi said, so Zidane says, if you want the short, you can have it a full time. And Matarazzi said to him, I'd rather have your your whore sister. That's what Matarazzi said. To him. I'd rather have your whore sister. He said he didn't even know he had a sister. He didn't even know and had. But that's what he said. But Zidane flipped. The switch went in Zidane. And it well, it can't have been because of that. It's because of everything else. It's, the frustration had built up in him. Ten you know, minutes, he was ten in, minutes to go in, the, in, the, in the, the final of a World Cup extra time. Yeah, last game. In your last ever game. It can't be last one incident. A, a top professional like that can't be a last game. It's, it's, I'd be more on the side of pain and frustration. Constant. Ultimate miss. The more than you know, Roy Keane at Soy Pan, this was the ultimate thing of red mist just coming up and coming up in the World Cup final. That you've scored an absolute belt and penalty. The matches towards penalties are needed, and it just bang. Just happened. Now, lads, just before we get on to the, the, the quiz, right, the last thing that, that, that should be remembered, the one thing the 2006 World Cup should be remembered for is the fan parks. This is the first time that they brought the fan parks in and subsequently from our point of view the fan parks have obviously grown in UEFA as well and culminating in that wonderful fan park in Madrid last May. It seems like eons ago. It's a year ago. Like It seems like a different lifetime, a different world ago at this stage. But you have these people in it and it's just... It is, the, it is probably the best thing football has done in these major tournaments is develop these fan parks where people integrate and enjoy themselves. The majority, right? You still have the clowns that turn up and wreck the shop, right? But the majority enjoy themselves and it's definitely a welcome addition to, to what it was. So as we, as we wrap it up, it is the 2006 Zidane Cup, the Cup of Zidane, Cup of Zidane in terms of what it is. Um, the, the, the wrong team won it. I'm going to be straight. I would have liked to see Zidane win it. And to be honest with you, I would have liked to see Argentina in the in the in, in the later stages because I think that Argentinian team could have potentially won the World Cup and if Peckerman just kept his head and not taken Raquel May off, it could have been a, a very different uh, flavour to that tournament because the Dan, Argentina against um, France would have been a fantastic game in terms of the players that, that they both had on the pitch. Um, and, and of course we talked about the American Messi. Um, that of course was a wrap on the 2006 World Cup review. I want to thank Keith and I want to thank Pete for joining me on this romp through the, the the Germany World Cup of 2006, the one most famous, of course, for Zinedine Zidane and what went on 
Um, we will be back. I think Gab was on tonight. There'll be more stuff on during the week. Um, we will be back again next week with the 2010 World Cup. Um, after that, though, we won't be back with any more World Cup ones because we covered them off in, in 2014 because we were already up and running. And you can go back and check out the old episodes. Anyway, um, I want to thank the guys for joining me again. And that is the Tuesday Club Part 2. And we'll talk to you again next week. So I heard from my sister's friend's cousin that Kohl's has the lowest prices of the season and had to see for myself. For real, the deals are so good. I got my kids' summer tees for $5.99, a cute swimsuit for myself for $17.99, and a Stark vacuum for $199.99, which will be great after Sandy Beach days. I got Kohl's cash, too, and I got it all in less than an hour with free store pickups. So, yeah, summer, I'm ready for you. Select style ends May 23rd. Some exclusions apply. See store or Kohl's.com for details. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. Oh, that's a kid we used to do in softball. Uh, what? It's, uh, actually Geico. Whenever someone hit a triple, we would wave our bats and yell, 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. But we never got to use it because we would only hit home runs. Annoying. The phrase is from Geico because they help save people money? Geico? Yeah, they were our team sponsor. Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. Sports Social Podcast Network.